0: Hi, welcome to the Biffa Podcast. It's the show from the British Independent Film Awards that brings together two artists from the filmmaking community for a conversation about how film has shaped their lives. In this episode, actors Claire Rushbrook and Alora Tortier rewind their lives through film and share their most formative cinematic moments. Breaking out with a remarkable performance of Mike Lee's Secrets and Lies, Claire has journeyed from Spice World to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, as well as appearing in TV favourites like Doctor Who, Whitechapel, Black Mirror and loads more. Most recently, she appeared in Clio Barnard's feature Ali and Ava and received a Biffa Best Actress nomination. Arriving in cinemas this spring, Ali and Ava is about the connection formed between two lonely individuals, Ava, played by Claire, and Ali, that's former podcast guest Adil Akhtar as they make an intense and meaningful connection, despite Ali's marriage to Runa, played by, you guessed it, Elora. Selected as a star of Tomorrow by Screen Magazine, Elora was nominated for Breakthrough Performance at the recent Biffa Awards for her work in Ben Wheatley's In the Earth. And she follows up her superb work in that film with a memorable turn in Ali and Ava. In this episode of the podcast, Claire and Elora reveal their differing experiences of the cinema growing up, whether they happened in the UK or India. And as well as that, they get into their work with Clio Barnard on Ali and Eva and the terrifying cinema experience that is Flash Gordon.
1: Hi, Laura. Hello, Claire. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. I'm just finding you on the screen. Hello, hello. This is weird because we don't, know each other. I know. Well, I feel like I know you. We haven't actually
2: sort of been in the room working together. So this is strange, but also fantastic because I get to ask all the questions about what it was like when I wasn't there.
1: It's lovely to see you. Tell me, did you grow up in the UK? I didn't. I grew up,
2: I mean, I say I didn't, but I, I did, but only towards teens, 13, 14. So I spent most of my childhood like a sort of nomad just growing up every six months every year in a different place. What does that mean for cinema? Well for cinema yeah well this is it so I think there wasn't a lot of cinema going there wasn't a lot of uh, knowledge of film and and that world I think it came into my life predominantly when we lived in India because there's a massive Bollywood culture and everybody loves it. But even then, people who were close to a cinema could go to it. But if you live in the rural ends, you don't go. So there was a lot of pirate DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the, the most memorable films I saw was a, a film that ended up going, getting to the Oscars. It was called Lagan. It was about uh, cricket, the Indians and the British playing a game of cricket. And uh, it, it was wonderful. It's all Bollywood and music and stuff like that. But that
1: was one of my first memories where did you grow up in Hertfordshire in a small town large village again the cinema was was in the next town along so the polar opposite of you I mean I stayed in the same place but equally going to the cinema wasn't a massive part of our life or my childhood it was expensive it was in another
2: town I kind of feel like I spent a lot of the time just making up stories and like talking to myself
1: riding my bike walking around <laughs> so how did you fall in love with it Well, I didn't fall in love with it till much later on, I think, after after I left drama school. But I remember my mum taking us when I was little to see, I think the first thing we saw was Snow White, which was like the original Disney animation. The thing I remember most was the local cinema, which is still my local cinema in a town called Letchworth, is a beautiful art deco building that has been restored and is gorgeous now, but at the time, like in the mid-70s, it was a, well, it was like a flea pit, is what we used to call it, and (laughs) it was like... Dirty, uh, old, old character, character, character. I mean, Gord, I loved it. I mean, red velvet seats, and you could smoke. So you know, it was oh, stale wow. smelling. And uh, I mean, I, I was four. <laughs> <laughs> you were smoking too. But yeah, <laughs> but people were. And it was those cinemas are thankfully improved, but it was so full of character. So yeah, it was that, and then closely followed by. Flash Gordon, I remember, was a film that I was too scared in, even in the sort of opening credits uh, we we left because I was just crying. What, wait, what's Flash Gordon? <laughs> like sci-fi. I couldn't even describe it. It's not scary at all. It's just like a kid's sci-fi film, but I, I just couldn't cope. <laughs> Those were the early memories. But what about you? Was it exciting then when you did get to go? Yeah, so I think my first experience of cinema was
2: probably in India. That's crazy. I mean, it's bustling. It's busy. You've got everyone Just everyone, you know, you've got two seats, but then you've got 10 people on two seats, standing, singing, dancing, going crazy. It's a real big part of that culture. So that was quite impressive. I lived there for about the longest that we lived in any of the countries, about two years. I only went to the cinema like once. Pretty impressive, but I didn't really have that as a norm and then I think I came to this country and my grandma at the time my mother's side was here and she wasn't particularly like a grandma grandma baking and cooking and doing those sort of, She was a bit like, oh God, what do we do? So she was like, Well, let's take you to the cinemas. So then the, the next few experiences were with my gran. And I think a bit like you, I ended up watching Spy Kids or something, but it was 3D. And that
1: blew me away. <laughs> it was just amazing, wasn't it? The first 3D. It was so crazy with the goggles. Yeah. I saw the Polo Express, I took a little kid, I knew. I mean, yeah, you just feel like it blows your mind. I be trying, <laughs> everyone was trying to catch the, <laughs> the train ticket that was floating down, crazy. But no. I went to, is um, it was called 4D? It was like an IMAX the other day. Oh, is that like the full body experience? Yeah, 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 wind oh my god, rain and like shaking seats. We went to see the new Spider man which is amazing. With rain? Did you say rain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not, not potential. It just spits sort of on <laughs> Just head. spit a yeah, spat on. <laughs> and then the wind is like, just to sort of blast in your ear. But it, yeah, it's a good, it's, it's amazing. Like someone's done an amazing job rigging it all up and, That's you know, whatever it takes.
2: Yeah. So I've never had the experience of rain, but I did watch Kirk at the IMAP. And I just remember just the whole body experience. I just felt like I was, I was there. It was crazy.
1: It was amazing. But when I was a teenager, moving on from when I was little, I did go a little bit more. I mean, I I know people my age, talk about the film Grease a lot. We all adored it, everyone my age. I'm 50 now, so that generation. I was very young, I was at eight, but my mum adored it too, and and that stayed with me. If it's on TV now, I just love it. Specifically, I I think, have you ever seen it?
2: I have, I absolutely have. I was just going to say, my mum is the biggest fan, and there are these photos of her dressed up in, uh, I think she went to a party or something, she tried to wear the big onesie outfit and my mum was a little bit maybe <laughs> struggling to get in and she was just like, but I loved it and her hair was done and she, she, yeah, she looked like a million dollars. I guess that culture of a movie or a song was not something I fully got to grasp with, but then when we were here and I started going to drama school, eventually when I was, what, 18, I think I got it. was it 18? Maybe. There was so much talk about film and I suddenly started getting really into it through other people. It's like everybody was talking about something and then I would just be like, oh God, I have no idea what you're talking about. So I was like, okay, yeah, like I better I better watch this. And so then I'd get into it like that. And yeah, I just, I fell in love with the experience. It's just so immersive. I suppose it was just, yeah, drama school really sort of got me into it. I think prior to that, there was a lot of theater chat at school. So theater was a thing and I loved reading. So a lot of comics, and, but it was mainly—I wouldn't say the theory of it—but it was on paper. It was all the all this this works, English literature plays on paper. And I only really started having an experience of anything that was performance-based really. I think I might like eighteen or something.
1: Yeah, exactly the same. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? That now, because all the brilliant streaming channels and and all the content that's being made, and for cinema too, it seems to me much more accessible and of interest to younger people, my kids are really into it, but I'm I'm like you, it just sort of passed me by really until I left drama school actually, because even at drama school I couldn't afford to go to the cinema or it was somehow other it, you know, I went years before you where screen acting wasn't taught or talked about. You did perhaps a week of learning how to sort of act in front of a camera. So it just wasn't on our radar. And there was also brilliant TV being made at that time, like Cracker and oh, Suspect, all that sort of thing. Yeah, So like you, it was only when I left and started meeting boyfriend who was massively into brilliant films. I At the time, I didn't quite get it. I remember like being dragged to see some Fritz Lang classic masterpiece, I'm sure. I just like, oh, what's this? But yeah, learning and being lucky enough to start to be in them. Like, be in them how, yeah. do you, how old are you, Laura, now? I am 29. Yeah, so you've had a few good credits to your name, haven't you, in film? And...
2: Well, you know, slowly, slowly, <laughs> but um, it's, we're building on it. It's similar to you, though. I think it's interesting. You say you only had like a week of screen training at drama school. I mean, I feel like it was the same when I was at drama school. It was, And it was hilarious because, you know, there'd be a very small handheld camera on a tripod and then just everybody would like watch you and then they'd be like try this scene or or do a monologue and that would be the screening I remember jumping into my first tv job and just being completely overwhelmed and just looking around going where was the training for this and actually all the screen work I think the training happened by the job like doing the jobs because it's a very different thing. But talking of which, because you were saying about watching at home and having that environment with COVID and stuff, I was speaking to a couple of my friends and they were saying how they enjoy the comfort of their homes more now. And like you were saying about streaming, where do you love to watch films? Do you like the cinema experience or do you prefer to snuggle up at home? I love the
1: cinema experience, but I have to hold my hands up and say that while I know the collective experience is a is a beautiful thing and and I love the idea of yes. <laughs> lots of people watching say our film Ali and Ava together. I'm actually my happiest when I'm in a cinema sort of on my own or maybe I, with a couple oh, of other too. people. I hate how that makes me sound but I I love it. It's a weekday afternoon, finding myself with some free time, looking at a film. I don't care where I go, I don't I don't really have a favourite cinema. I don't care. I just think being there in front of a massive screen in a dark room, there's nothing like it. And so, for example, I saw After Love recently. It was just one other person. We know these films sell very well. It's just (laughs) I'd go at 11 o'clock in the morning. And I loved it. God's Own Country I saw in a very quiet cinema. I think it's really a luxury.
2: I agree. I think it's I def, I, I relate, by the way, I don't think it makes you sound like anything, I, I relate.
1: It, whether you're in it or
2: not, it's just that bubble, that cocoon of being quite silent and, and just simple things. I'm gonna sound like such a grouch, but just simple things like eating popcorn, it really frustrates me. I'm like,
0: ah. Oh.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've got that thing, I do, it's got a name where I just want to rip about people's hands and throw them. I can't cope with that. I mean, I don't know why you can't just put your hand in. It's the whole getting right underneath and rustling. <laughs> I'm trying to unearth some sacred popcorn from the bottom. Anyway, I digress. But that said, when we went to Bradford and had the premiere up there of our film, oh. it was a, a big cinema and it was full. It was a really special and I went not swap that for the world.
2: I wasn't there for Bradford, but I was there when I saw you for the London Film Festival. That was maybe one of the biggest auditoriums for a cinema screen I've ever seen. I mean, that was just mad how big it was. And that collective experience, I think, again, I don't think I would have swapped it at all. Having said that, I think my favorite cinema in London is probably the Curzon Soho. I absolutely love that cinema. And I just, I love, it's gonna sound really weird, but I love that when you walk up to it, it's like glass on either corners and it feels like you're walking into a cafe you don't feel like you're walking into a cinema and then you have to go down the stairs and then it gets darker and then you have all these little screens and they're all hidden away and you've got four screens there. Some of them are tiny and just so the last thing I saw there was a Romanian film that was there part of the Romanian Film Festival and one of my friends was in it and it was just so intimate, very one-on-one and I felt like I was in the film itself and I, I really love that, taking on a little journey. I think the most important thing is
1: that people see these stories, isn't it? And I get entirely, it must be heartbreaking to have agonised over every shot you're the director and to know that people are watching it on their phones maybe or, and I wouldn't wish that on anyone, but I think it's just brilliant that they're being seen.
2: Well, this is it. I think that it is becoming more and more accessible. And my parents, for instance, we would have a VCR. And if the thing gets damaged, you have to go and get a Blockbuster membership and go and get your video from Blockbusters again or pay for a new one. And actually, there's something about this online streaming. You've just got this membership that you don't really think about. And then you've just got everything. And something like Netflix, you've got films from Spain, you've got documentaries, shorts. It's such a, a wide range of stuff.
1: What's your favourite? I'm very open-minded. I mean, I, there's, there's a film I think about again and again, which is an unusual choice, but it, it was in the early 2000s, and it was one of those days where I sort of took myself off in the afternoon. And it's a, a French documentary called Etre et voir, and it's by a, a director called Nicolas Filibert. And it's the most intimate, gentle honest look at a tiny little school in deepest rural France and I know there were sort of fly on the wall documentaries before that time and around that time but I don't recall ever watching them as much as the one on TV now and it's just the camera looking in on a tiny school a one classroom school with Perhaps five little, little children, and then six sort of 10-year-olds. And it just follows the schoolmaster, it's a wonderful teacher. But there are shots that just took my breath away that I still but just flick across my my brain still. And one in particular was the opening sequence. It's set in deepest winter. And as I said, it's in the middle of nowhere. And there's a shot of these fir trees laden with snow hanging heavy with snow and I don't think it's shot in slow motion but the wind is just moving them and it really is like they're dancing and swaying and the sound is beautiful in this film which is just very real very pure so you get the silence of the snow but also the stirring of the wind and it's just the most beautiful atmospheric beginning just one shot and then it cuts to a shot of inside the classroom which is tiny and an old schoolhouse an old room and it's empty all the children's furniture's out and everything and then it just you just see two of the the class tortoises the shot's empty and then it's as if the director's gone and cue tortoise one and the tortoise (laughs) just sort of comes into shot pauses and then another one comes in and there's, there's no sound it's just these two tortoises appearing in shot and beautiful and funny and and then the whole story is just yeah it's gorgeous.
2: I, I have to watch être et avoir.
1: Yeah, yeah. But like you, just briefly, I think my love of film and British independent film came from being lucky enough to be put in them. My early twenties is why I asked your age because I did a casualty where, like you, I just couldn't you just seize up I mean you just don't know what you're doing and then luckily went on to work with Mike Lee in a film called Secrets and Lies and he absolutely taught me everything it was a really formative experience and because of that I learned so much about how to act on film how to behave on a film set and then it opened my eyes to other films yeah so I owe him a lot. That's incredible
2: when was that made with Mike Lee?
1: It was 95, so, you know, I was 23, and I learned to. all. Well, I didn't know what that half the technical terms meant, check the gate, things like yeah. that, I had to ask him what they meant. I remember him saying, when you read a newspaper on film, which my character did in the garden, he said, you need to read it, because we can yeah. see <laughs> your eyes, rather than stage acting. A bigger sense of that community of British film, the brilliance of the crew. We had uh, the brilliant DOP Dick Pope, who was gentleman and brilliant and always works with him. But watching how he worked with Mike and his team and how he related to the actors, set such a template for what's been maintained. It's so special. I feel so lucky to be a part of it.
2: Yeah, I fully agree. I think it's it's quite humbling. I think it's funny because it's a job, but it's never felt like it's a job. I think it was a couple of years ago, I think I said... Because I'd had some experiences, a bit like sort of what you are saying, having a casualty experience and sort of seizing up because it's all brand new. But not only because it's brand new, but because there was something about that environment that d- didn't quite sit right with me and actually the work I wanted to do. And it's been a really interesting and continues to be a really interesting learning curve to kind of find how much your life actually affects your decision-making in in your work. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel like wherever I'm at, it has an influence on the work I then do or or the choices I make and seeing that those two things are compatible and coexisting and then having that fortunate opportunity to be able to do different things. I remember the thing that you were saying about sort of reading a newspaper. I did a French film. It was one of the first French films I did called Les Cowboys, directed by Thomas Bidegain. and I worked with him and... It was all very small. It felt very small. And I'd just come from doing a lot of theatre and just out of drama school. And it was all, I wouldn't say big, but it's a perf- it's, it is a its is a bigger space that you have to film. And it's not that laser beam focus that's required, that just think the thought sort of thing. And I picked up all these skills from that. And then I went came back to the UK and I did a theatre thing. And somebody asked me to, to read something on stage. And so I just read it. And then two weeks in, the director was just like, okay, should we all be off book? But I was just like, well, but, I, but I'm reading it. I mean, I kind of know it, but, I, but I'm reading it. And she was just like, right, okay, but you haven't learned it. And I was like, oh God, you know, like which skill do you use where? And it was just really fascinating. But then also working out that I, that actually worked for me as well, you know, in that world. And it may or may not work and drawing from all the skills you can and cannot use. It's not like one, I feel like, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel like you do one project and it can feel very method and very involved. And then there are other projects you feel that isn't necessarily the thing that's gonna bring out what you need to do. So you do something different. I don't know, it's kind of like fascinating. I feel like I don't have a, I don't know how I work. It just, working it out.
1: Well, I think you're you reminding me of our experience with Clio and making our film, Ali and Ava, and that staying open and fluid and not having a set approach that perhaps you always use and, and thereby being at risk of sort of shutting out unexpected possibilities. I think it really sort of key reminds me of how it was working with her and how Clio works. She's remarkable. I found her terrific. That sense of, you know, she's utterly sure uh, instinctively and intellectually about what she wants to create. And yet she presents so generously and humbly where you don't think for a minute anyone, she doesn't know what she's on about but there is a lot of saying with truth I, I don't I don't know show me something or I don't know how does it feel and I hadn't experienced that for a while and that, yeah. how did you find?
2: I know I fully agree I mean my first experience of meeting Clio was I went up to Bradford and I thought I was going for a fitting I didn't really know it was going to be anything more than that. So I sort of went and classic me, because I'm just a terrible human being for names and faces and just terrible. Adil was in the green room area, living room area, whatever it was in this building, making a cup of coffee. And I saw him and I was just like, oh, hello. Totally didn't recognize who he was. Totally didn't know anything. I was just like, yeah, so, you know, how are you? And he was just like, yeah, I'm fine. How are you? And I was just like, yeah. So I was like, so what do you do? <laughs> and he was like, I, I, I'm, I'm a deal. I'm, I'm in the movie. And I was just like, oh, you're, oh, right. I see. And it was just like very embarrassing. And then two minutes later, after getting a coffee, we were whisked into this room and it was almost like a sort of reading and improvisation. we spent about three, four hours in that room and it was all improvising around the text and just talking about what it was. And I just remember just going, this is amazing. This is so brilliant. Because I felt like when we, when that whole experience was over, I had a little bag of history with him. Because even though my character within it only pops up on occasion, you know, it's not a sort of through line. We needed that history. And and just those three, four hours with Clive and deal like just consolidated that foundation for me and it
1: became real. I think your performance in it absolutely corroborates that because it's full of history and pain and love. I mean it was very moving very moving. And I, I wrote to didn't I to to watch because I have my scenes with deal and and that storyline and I'd read the script obviously and was aware of his other life but you don't focus on that when you're focusing on your own character so to see it And there's no question that it suffers for not being a linear presence all the way through because those scenes are so powerful and the relationship you created together and show is so beautiful.
2: Gosh, you are a powerhouse in this movie and you are. And I remember I didn't really read or or connect or try to understand anything that was happening outside of our relationship because as the character, I didn't know about it. So why would I delve into it? And so... I didn't, and then I remember just briefly passing you in the corridor and seeing you for the first time, and going, "Oh wow, okay, that's Claire." Like that's that. And and, th- and then I had this whole imaginative moment. Where it was like, I wonder what that relationship's like, and well, what would that be like, and everything. And then when I finally watched the movie and I saw your relationship with the deal, I mean, it is just so authentic, so pure, so organic, so natural, so easy. And it just, it radiates this joy for living, even through the hardships and the turmoil. I mean, it's a class A act. It's amazing. I'm always blown away by everything you do, but I mean. Ah,
1: thank you. But don't you think that, I mean, that's so kind. I think it's testimony to us all working in that way. And I think that's what I'm so proud of, is that it looks so real and honest. And I think that's what I want to see myself in the cinema and I mean I love all that escapism I love all that but there's nothing like really identifying your core with what a person's feeling and it's really special Mm -hmm. with
2: regards to seeing that in other work and it resonating with you is there a particular style or do you feel that you can resonate with things that are extraordinary or sort of big and high as well can you find that in everything do you
1: feel that way I think empathy is the key, isn't it? And actors have to be empathetic. But I don't know we've got special powers. I speak for myself. I just want to feel a resonance. I'm, I'm sort of ready for it. So, but I'm pathetic, really, because even something like, I mean, this Encanto, this Disney film that's blown up, I know mean, my, my daughter, we watched it the other day, and the messages are amazing. And the way it makes you feel is amazing, but equally. I watched Boiling Point last night. I didn't get to the cinema. I streamed it at home. That whole world, the empathy you have with those characters. Have you seen it? You managed to capture. Yeah,
2: it? Yeah, I have. I've seen it. I ended up watching Boiling Point and then I watched Belfast. They're very different, but equally, I think, brilliant movies together. And I think it's just because I watched them simultaneously, one after the other. Belfast, is, is in some regards, just there were shots and moments in that. I think what I loved most about it as well was just that, It felt like it was the point of view of the little boy. I wasn't there during that time and I have no idea, you know, I wouldn't sit here and claim to know that I could understand what that feels like. But you felt like you could understand it through his perspective. And it was just even the cleanliness of the windows and the way the parents dance together in, in this moment in the pub, like the way he views this as a spectacle. It was just, it's those brilliant moments where the character... And everything they're psychologically going through is paired with this incredible directorship, if you want to say. That experience is just completely whole. And yeah, just I mean, yeah, but also Boiling Point was, I mean, terrific. Just the feeling you get and the way things are shot. I think it's just beautiful.
1: I think it's where your eyes are opened to the power of the sound, you know, oh God, in yeah. these films, the art design. I mean, as an act of the art design super important isn't it how your own character's habitat is put together but I just think sound more and more I'm I'm noticing Absolutely. and appreciating and yeah
2: did you have a lot of input in the sound for Ali and Ava because it's heavily revolving around sound and there's that wonderful bit with both of you guys listening to music back to back I mean, it's just so joyous. And the, the way the sound just fades in and out as it mo- the camera moves from you to, it's
1: just, it's glorious. I had no input to the music that Ava listens to, but they put a lot my way and I loved it and I loved getting into it. I mean, that was a sort of bonus actually of being, of filming away from home, although it was just a short six week shoot. I was able to really immerse myself in the music as opposed to making pet lunches and <laughs> doing the ironing at home. So. It was great. I think Adil had more input than I because he was there in a more collaborative way earlier on than I before I came on board. It's just another example of that intimacy and openness that that film needed and has delivered. I've seen your Insta. You dance so beautifully. I mean, do you play?
2: No, I, I self-confessed and totally okay with it. I don't have actual musical skills at all. No, I, I think I learned when I was like, 11 or something I think I learned like four chords on a guitar still only know those four chords and just move the little capo up and down and it sounds a bit different yeah it, it makes you sort of connect with something that is with you I think physically I danced quite a lot I actually started off street dancing so I was on the streets <laughs> and then yeah I wanted to be a dancer and I remember thinking I was, I was so devastated because I, I went to audition for dance school and. They said to me, you are, you're talented, but you're just never going to cut it as a dancer because you have no technical skills at all. I mean, I've never done a ballet class. I didn't even know what that was. And so I was like, but but I'll work really hard. I I will, I'll go to those ballet classes. And they were just like, you're just not going to catch up. It's just too late. But maybe, maybe try acting. And I just remember thinking the whole world was over because I thought
1: that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, I'm glad you did. What are you looking forward to seeing? Is there anything in particular I've been thinking about Andrea Arnold's new film, which is called Cow. I don't think it's going to be an easy watch, but I love, I mean, I talked about that French film when I grew up in the countryside. So I love anything rural. And I think this sounds like it's, really special film.
2: I've ended up watching quite a few films recently and the very very last one I watched was The Power of the Dog which I loved. It felt like there were some elements of kind of Japanese filmmaking in there too just the sort of long shots and quiet stillness and all of that was really terrific. Have you gotten into Euphoria? No. Again it's brilliant because it's it's a series about American teenagers who are at school but they're dealing with like drug addiction problems and sexual relationships and sexual transitioning into binary and non-binary, who they are and self-identity. And there's all of this stuff, but it's wonderful because it dips in and out of these real moments. And then sometimes it gets into super heightened and everyone starts singing and dancing and, and it goes crazy. So yeah, I'd really like to see that.
1: And I'd quite like to see West Side Story maybe on the big screen. Uh, yeah, I'd love to see that. I mean, yes. that was another formative film for me. And I think about what I was saying about Greece and the character of Rizzo, played by Stockard Channing. Yeah. And then the original West Side story with Rita Marino, who played Anita, and those characters, they're so intriguing to me. Not the main leads, not Maria, not Sandy, but those women and those characters on the sidelines that convey so much with, with less screen time. I just loved that. So I, yeah, I definitely will we'll join you going to see that. But mainly looking forward to our film being released. <laughs> and hoping people go and see that and enjoy I it. I hope so. It's been a long wait, hasn't it? We've had, we've had it knocking around for a couple of years because of this pandemic. So I can't wait. Absolutely. When did we finish? Was it about, t- was it two years ago? Yeah, December, 2019. So they've had a long, little, long time. It's going
2: to be super exciting. And I I have no doubt that objectively, I think people will really resonate with the story. I think you're amazing. And I think the film is beautiful. And I'm looking forward to it too. It's a gorgeous film. Everyone's
1: fabulous in it. March the 4th. (laughs) (laughs) All right. No, no, it's just right. gorgeous to see you i think this is the longest conversation we've ever had i know
2: i feel like we were rambling a little bit but, but before the last time i met you i think we were shouting over people so this has been really lovely just one-on-one take care lovely to see you bye, bye. Bye,
1: bye
0: thanks for listening to this episode of the biffer podcast if you've only just discovered the podcast hit subscribe so you don't miss the next episode and if you're new here check out our back catalogue. It's full of fascinating conversations. We just had Papa Esiedu and Lenny James on the show. They had such a lovely chat. Make sure you check it out. Thanks for listening. The Biffa podcast is a Little Dot Studios production for Biffa. It's hosted by me, Jake Cunningham, and I'm one of the producers as well, along with Harold McShiel and Ellie Aitken. The show's edited by Content Is Queen.